Today on the show, we're exploring alternate dimensions and asking a question popularized by a certain mm -hmm. unnamed cinematic universe. Mm. And that question is, what if... <laughs> Dune, 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 season Dune. It's Dune. Are you talking about DC? Yeah, DC. Aquaman, yeah. Aquaman 2? Every movie's a flop, DC. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, is that mean? I'm just looking at the numbers. Is your mom's name also Mary? I, my my mom's also Mary. What? We should be best friends. Did we just become best friends? <laughs> is that a niche reference? Did you get that joke, Elaine? Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay, you okay, got it. No, no, yeah. Okay, great, great. Wasn't it Martha, though? Oh, it was Martha. <laughs> <Fuck that. laughs> I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure completely. <laughs> Welcome to Gumjabar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name's Abu. My name is Leo. And Leo. Yeah. We have a friend on the show today. We do. It's true. It's true, Elaine. Elaine. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> hello, hello. I'm glad to be here. We are so glad to have you back. You are a familiar voice yeah. for our listeners and our show because yeah. you've been on before with us. Yeah. And we're so excited to have you back once again. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. Exciting topic. And for those of you who don't recognize the dulcet tones of Elaine's beautiful voice, Elaine Unsubscribe runs... and go away. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Unsubscribe and leave. <laughs> Walk out. You're not welcome here. <laughs> the door is that way. No, Elaine runs Nerd Cookies, mm -hmm. a really spectacular YouTube channel. It's really wonderful. I love the overall vibe, the episodes she produces about all sorts of things. Yeah. Because, Elaine, you kind of started with, I became aware of you when you were doing Dune stuff, but you've kind of expanded into a bunch of different topics, right? Uh, Yeah. I think initially I started with Star Wars, but mm. then quickly geared to dune as you know the new movie was new adaptation was ramping up mm -hmm. and it just quickly exploded from there there was a lot of good uh feedback from the audience so that was that was great a lot of mm -hmm. dune fans were responding so yeah continued with that and then branched into other realms of sci-fi so it's right, yeah, yeah it's kind of a a mixed bag there's stargate Battlestar galactica yeah been doing some Warhammer 40k. Oh, cool. Uh, just came out with a God Emperor of Dune comparison to the Emperor of Mankind from Warhammer 40k. So that was really fun. Wow. Okay. <laughs> cool. Okay. Wow. Nerd cookies indeed. Nerd cookies <laughs> indeed. And I was going to say, perfectly equipped you for today's episode. Yes. And what I want to tell you all about this episode, this is an idea that we've gotten a couple of times from people, but what if scenarios? Yeah. So alternative timeline scenarios within the Dune universe, which naturally like knowing how sci-fi universes play out and complex political scenes like Warhammer and like Dune will aid us very well, I think, in uh, in talking about today's episode. Mm-hmm. But I guess before we get too much into it, we should take care of some housekeeping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bear with us, Elaine. We got to take care of some quick housekeeping here at the top of the show, starting with our spoiler warning. Mm. So today we're going to be talking through some what-if scenarios and alternate timelines, potential timelines in the Dune story. And that means there will be spoilers in today's discussion, right. but we will keep them contained up through Children of Dune. 
So we'll stick to just the first three books and we'll avoid talking about the latter half of the series on today's episode and in the scenarios that we'll talk about today. So make sure that you have at least read through Children of Dune and lucky for you, dear listener, (laughs) we have complete chapter by chapter book club episodes for the first three books. And we're currently working through book four. So if you haven't read them, now's the time. We recommend it. We like these books, as it turns out. <laughs> if you couldn't tell by our 170 fucking episodes about Dune. <laughs> Indeed. And finally, we have a huge shout out, as always, to our Quisats Hatterack level patron, Case Aiken. Ooh, Case. Case. What if someone was so generous you couldn't even put it into words? My God. And I think My God. you answer that question every day. Yeah. So thank you, Case. We don't need an alternate timeline. We live in it now. <laughs> His name is Case Aiken. That's this timeline. Yeah. <laughs> thank you to Case. And thank you to all of our patrons. Again, what you contribute yeah. makes what we do possible. Oh, look at that. We did our housekeeping and shout out Mapes is proud and happy. We did. We did. So delighted that we <laughs> tidied up after ourselves. <laughs> all right. So as Leo said, today's episode is going to be all about what if scenarios in the Dune universe. And how we decided to tackle the conversation is that each of us, me, Leo, Elaine, picked a what-if scenario for all of us to discuss together as a group, a potential alternate version of events than what took place in the book. Right. So we'll share how we think how the stories would play out in those situations, for better or worse. And to round out the episode, we'll actually be taking it upon ourselves to rewrite Dune. <gasps> Blasphemy. The audacity. The audacity. <laughs> we'll round out today's episode by sharing something in the story that... Uh, we would change or would want an alternate right, right. Uh, alternate uh, version of in the Dune universe if we had the privilege of rewriting certain parts of it or exploring different versions of it. Right. All right. So that's the game plan for today. Before we jump into it, let's take a breather. Let's prep ourselves. But don't go anywhere, dear listener. We will be right back with Elaine to talk about Dune What If scenarios. Stick with us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you enjoyed your break. Hope you're ready to dive into the Dune season Mm -hmm. of What Mm -hmm. If. Because in our first episode, we have our first scenario. And the scenario is this. What if the tooth, the the poison tooth, uh, successfully (laughs) killed Baron Vladimir Harkonnen of House Harkonnen? What if he died? from the poison tooth the watcher guides us through this episode that's right and actually i'll start off because i chose this scenario Mm -hmm. and i feel very strongly about it (laughs) (laughs) and here's how i think it would play out okay okay baron's dead hi ho the uh hi ho the the king is dead the king is yeah sure (laughs) (laughs) the king is dead oh lord the king is dead house harkonnen is in disarray And with Paul and Jessica in the desert, presumed dead, I want to start by looking at what House Carino would do, right? Like the Emperor Shaddam on his throne, he's he's kind of like manipulated these two houses to come to a fight. 
and the heads of houses are dead with no heirs declared. So from Count Fenring's sinister hints at Fade's birthday, Mm -hmm. I think Shaddam isn't necessarily on board with Fade as the next Baron of House Harkonnen. Yeah. So I think Shaddam would like, boom, PR mode. He'd be like, oh my gosh, what a tragedy that these two great houses obliterated each other, neither of them having approved heirs. Mm-hmm. Oh, so sad. No successor name for House Arkanen. Right. Uh, so you're telling me Shaddam is not a fan of Fade's hip-thrusting rock and roll. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's... I'm going to be the ha, House Arkanen. Because <laughs> my name's Fade Rock. Ha! What? Yeah. Yeah, Shaddam is the one that made the cameras go up so that right, they couldn't right. see the gyrating hips right, of right, Faye right, Ralph. Right. <laughs> tilt up, yeah. tilt up, tilt up. Tilt up, quickly. <laughs> He's seducing, <laughs> seducing everyone. I do wonder why the Shaddam didn't like Fade or that he just didn't like Baron choosing an heir without mm. his not or without his say-so. I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine the fact that he doesn't like Leto, I imagine Shaddam is the sort of person who generally is fine with people who he finds are complicit with his power structure. And we've talked about how Bar- like House Harkonnen kind of models what houses are supposed to do in the Landsrat. So, yeah, maybe maybe he's actually super on board with Fade. But I definitely see him taking steps to make sure that House Harkonnen doesn't then become a threat, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. So I think that would either happen as dissolving House Harkonnen's assets, like, oh, great house, really old, but what are we going to do? Okay, so, you know, this house, political favor, you get this, you get that. Yeah. Or because he hadn't named anybody, I'm going to put someone on the House Harkonnen head of house that is a lapdog for me. Right. So that's the Carino response, I think, to both Baron and Leto and presumably Jessica and Paul being dead. Right. Looking then at the Atreides troop, receiving the news of both Baron Harkonnen and Duke Leto's deaths would be Paul, Jessica, Gurney, and Thufir Hawat in their like respective locations. So I think they would immediately know, or they maybe they already knew at this point, that there are Sardaukar on planet, that the Sardaukar were behind the attack. I don't know that they would feel as stuck in a corner without Baron Harkonnen on planet directing the, like, you know, Harkonnen troops and Harkonnen forces. So I propose that they would, as a family, meet up and then send a message to Shaddam saying, meet with us on our terms or else we're going to tell the universe that you conspired to destroy a great house, Mm -hmm. that this is all you you did this, which again, recall, is like the thing Shaddam's like, this can't happen. Yeah. Now, I think Paul, Jessica, Gurney, and Thufir would leverage the Emperor's desire for secrecy to reclaim Kaladin, especially because, like, I imagine rebuilding House Atreides, it would be useful to have Kaladin back. Yeah. And also potentially leveraging the now probably very helpful Benny Gesserit, who are like, oh, sweet, Kwisatz Haderach plan breeding program still viable. Let's help Jessica out however we can. I think they would claim Arrakis in permanent fief control. They'd say, you're just going to let this happen because otherwise we tell everyone. Mm-hmm. So they they leverage like the political knowledge that they have. Yeah. And they hold that over the emperor is what you're saying. What happened? Yeah. Yeah. I think between 
Paul, who's no, you know, dim light bulb himself, Jessica, Thufir, Gurney, yeah. you, you have all of these right. like brilliant strategists. They would get a good deal out of this, okay. as good a deal as possible. I'm a bit confused. Are you saying that Thufir isn't captured in this scenario and that Gurney doesn't go with the smugglers and they meet up in the desert again? Yeah, I, I think Thufir getting captured, I'm fairly certain he's captured by Sardaukar under Harkonnen directions. Mm-hmm. And with Baron Harkonnen dead, like I think if Baron Harkonnen died, the Harkonnen orders on planet would have hiccuped enough for Thufir and those Fremen to get away. Yeah, I think. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know for sure. I mean, obviously oh, right, it's possible. Right. They would probably be in more disarray after the Baron's untimely death. That's my thought. Yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. not sure, though, if uh, just leveraging knowledge of the Emperor's involvement would be enough to bring him to the table in that regard. Oh, sure. But if, like, later, if they knew about the spice, where it came from, hmm. because the spice is just everything, and regardless of the political machinations, the spice must flow. So mm-hmm. right, he right. would have to bend the knee True. to yeah. whatever they wanted, because that's greater than his political influence. The spice must flow. (laughs) Yeah. So I do wonder that because because I think in that tense exchange with the Baron and Fenring that you mentioned uh, earlier, the Baron kind of alluded to him revealing that information or letting it come out. And Fenring said, well, I can just arrange for Sardaukar commanders to come forward and just admit to everything and acting without orders. Right. So I'm not sure if that just alone would be enough. Mm, interesting, true. But if they somehow did learn or connected with the Fremen and did learn about the spice production and could leverage that in addition to that, mm-hmm. that might work. That's a really good point. Yeah. And I did, I was thinking about it. Like, I don't think Paul would be content with not exploring his prescient visions of Arrakis. Like, I think Paul would go back to Arrakis. Yeah. I think he would seek out this, you know, super hot beautiful woman that he keeps seeing in his dreams he's like i keep seeing zendaya and uh if there's a chance i should probably explore that they're like you're really eager to go back to that desert he's like ah you know like it's just i was working on my tan you know i was they're like i don't know you seem (laughs) too excited about anyway so i i think paul would end up back on planet and i i do think he would end up with the fremen as part of exploring his prescient visions. Yeah. yeah. So I think you make a really good point and you've changed my scenario a little bit and I completely am on board with this new version. <laughs> 2.0 launching right now is you're right. They need more leverage. Paul thinks there's something in his prescient visions, explores time with the Fremen, discovers the spice connection. He who controls the spice controls the universe. Mm-hmm. We now control the universe. And if Shaddam is going to like, try to leverage all of the force of the Sardaukar, we can approach the Lancerad with this information and go, well, isn't it convenient, all of this stuff, and however he handled Harkonnen, House Harkonnen. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, and then then I was thinking, like, does Paul still become the Kwisatz Haderach? Right. And I think, yes, just kind of through his prescient visions of terrible things that might happen and stuff, I think he would be like, it's my responsibility to leverage this power and explore this. And I also think the Bene Gesserit would push him in that direction as well. Like, yeah, we want you to become the Kwisatz Haderach. But then I think he would probably, you know, leverage his prescience to steer the universe in a more Bene Gesserit style manner. Like, I don't know, just 
through votes and through <laughs> grassroots campaigns and yeah. Yeah. a really shocking editorial <laughs> novel that he writes Ooh. that like blows yeah Scathing. you know that sort of thing yeah <laughs> he watches a TikTok <laughs> he, account. he would probably butt heads <laughs> with a Benny Gesserit still especially if he's uh, going with for sure for sure you know his lover Chani his his destined love <laughs> and they don't like her because oh, she's true. not in their breeding program uh, she would right. contaminate uh, as they would see it the bloodline so. He would probably butt heads with them on that. Yeah, guaranteed. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting how that would, if it still works out somewhat to their plans, they might be okay with it. <laughs> or they would just be forced to be okay with it. Yeah. Forced to be with okay with it is the thing. Yeah. <laughs> In the same way that they have to find that like ultimate lever to twist Shaddam, mm-hmm. he would find that ultimate lever to twist the Bene Gesserit because you're right. They w- He would have to like stop them from trying to assassinate Johnny because mm-hmm. they'd be like... Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, we're going to kill her. And he's like, no, 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 no. (laughs) Cool, 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 cool. We love that. Love that for you. Uh, Hate that for us, but we love that for you. Yeah. I have a question for you, though, Leo. Sure. Does Paul become emperor in this version of events? Or does he just become head of House Atreides? For sure, head of House Atreides. I don't know how being emperor interfaces with, like, the golden path or the avoidance of. Yeah. That's the thing that motive that would motivate like an adult Paul in an alternative universe is he's seeing these terrible futures. Yeah. And he's seeing this choice that's being presented to him. And he's like, can I do it? Can't I do it? I can't do it because I love Chani too much. And then as we see in Children of Dune, maybe Leto does end up taking the throne. But I, I don't know that it's that important for Paul or was ever important for Paul other than winning peace and protection for the people he loves and freeing the Fremen and yeah. all of that. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's a good question. You, you think he could still achieve the golden path or at least direct humanity in that way, even if he was just head of House Atreides? I mean, if he's got the Bene Gesserit, even if they are unwillingly helping him, they are masters of moving the universe. So That's true. That's true. That's yeah. my thought. Fun. But uh, that's my scenario. That's, that's kind of how I think it would play out. Mm-hmm. Who wants to go next? What do you think? I'm happy to go next. Oh, sure. Because I... I actually find it really interesting that you immediately started considering what the Carino would do and how they would start interfering. Sure. And looking at Elaine's notes, Elaine sort of thought along those lines too. My mind actually instantly went to Fade assuming control of House Harkonnen, even at a young age, because I think at this time during the attack on Arakeen, he's like 16-ish maybe. Yeah. But that's still old enough for him to take over the throne and become the new Baron of House Harkonnen. So I think if the Tooth situation happened and Baron Vladimir Harkonnen died, Fade Rotha would immediately maneuver to take over. Yeah. And obviously that involves a bit of butting heads with his brother, Beast Raban. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But ultimately, I don't think Beast Raban is cunning enough to outwit his younger brother. For sure. So yeah. Fade will either back him into a corner and force his hand or simply kill him. Uh, I don't think Fade would be above doing that in order to take control of House Harkonnen. <laughs> I don't get a lot of brotherly love between the two. <laughs> throughout no, the I don't book. either. I don't either. I, I do agree, however, that the disarray within House Harkonnen, right? Even this mm. like changing of the hands and Fade assuming the throne in my scenario would still cause enough turmoil within House Harkonnen that it would give the emperor lots of leverage over the events of Arrakis. 
And I almost imagine that the emperor immediately sends his most trusted advisor, Count Fenring, back to Arrakis and says, hey, you're back in charge of this. Yeah, right. You know, because he was already there in a bit of an official imperial capacity to at least make sure that the Carinos were getting their taxes, their spice taxes and their spice allotments. And I think the emperor would be like, well, the Harkonnens are in fucking disarray and this 16-year-old kid has just taken over. Count, go to Arrakis, make sure things are running properly mm. and make sure the Harkonnens and this young kid are doing their job. Yeah, I do think that Fade Rotha would be young and brash and I think he would steer House Harkonnen in an even more destructive path on Arrakis. But I also think he'd be quite efficient, probably more efficient than Beast Raban. I, I don't imagine sure. Beast Raban yeah. is like great at workflows, you know? <laughs> yeah. He's not, he's His not... Excel spreadsheets look awful. <laughs> They're a mess. Not even color coded. <laughs> not even color coded. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I do think just based on Fade's intelligence and cunning and better training, right? He was very obviously being groomed to be the next Baron. I think he would manage Arrakis much more efficiently if not more destructively than his brother Beast Raban did during his time. Yeah. I also think he would actually spare no expense in going after the Fremen and in particular going after this new rumored messiah he keeps hearing about called Muad'Dib. Right. Whereas the Baron and Beast Raban maybe ignored this threat, I think Fade would think of it as a challenge to his young baronhood, you know? Yeah. And he would go after him hard. And in my mind, that almost ends up being this like cat and mouse in the desert chase between Fade and the Harkonnen forces and Paul and his Fremen forces. Yeah. And this perhaps makes Paul's survival in the desert more difficult. And I like to think this would lead to a longer drawn out guerrilla war instead of that two year time jump we get in the first book. Maybe this is like five, six, seven years of just like ongoing bloodshed and war as Fade and Paul like duke it out with each other in the deserts oh, cool. of Arrakis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I do think without the Sardaukar raid that takes place at the end of the book and without the Emperor's interference, in an interesting twist, in my scenario, I imagine that Paul and Chani's first child actually survives. Mm. We get Leto the Elder, Leto the OG. <laughs> yeah. And I imagine he he kind of grows up in this war-torn culture, right? He grows up in this like brutal desert environment at war with the Harkonnens from the minute he's born this young child and i imagine him becoming a very fierce warrior trained by both paul mm. his fadaken stilgar jessica you know he gets all of the most yeah. brutal and best training and this young leto is like a savage you know yeah he's like a, a tarzan like kind of the who alia becomes in messiah yeah absolutely and i do definitely imagine this leto fighting alongside his father and his fadaken once he's old enough and battling the harkonnen so father and son sort of duking it out with Fade and the Harkonnen forces in the desert. To wrap up my scenario, I, I do think father and son, so Leto, OG, and Paul, <laughs> probably would end up successfully overthrowing Baron Fade Rotha Harkonnen and would be able to reestablish House Atreides on Arrakis after a very long, drawn-out, bloody guerrilla war. And... Similar to your scenario where maybe they go to the emperor and use some political leverage, perhaps Paul and his son and Jessica and the remaining forces, Gurney's out there too with the smugglers, do go to the emperor and they're like, hey, let us get rid of this impetuous young 
Baron for you and get rid of House Arconan. So maybe the Emperor helps helps the Fremen warriors as well. Right. Ultimately, I think the bigger question is what does this mean for the Golden Path? Because at the end of the day, Paul is still having his visions and he still has to prevent humanity's stagnation and the jihad. That's a little tougher to answer in my scenario because we've sort of veered right, off right. course so dramatically. But I do think <laughs> father and son would be able to use their powers because I think Leto OG would also inherit many of the same abilities. Probably, yeah. I think the two of them could actually kind of work together. Like Paul wouldn't have to be the only prescient near godlike being in the galaxy and figure it out on his own. He would like compare notes with his son perhaps. And maybe they would be able to uh, steer humanity in the right direction using their powers together. Although knowing the way Frank took his stories in Dune Messiah and Children of Dune, I do imagine that like Paul and Leto OG would have to make some really sad and tough decisions along the way. Yeah. Yeah, but, probably. Uh, yeah. It, to, to me, this scenario turns it into like a very cool, like father, son, guerrilla warfare on Arrakis story. And <laughs> in, in my mind, if the Baron dies and that leads to like this domino effect of events. I like your um, scenario too, when it comes to fade and beast, Although I I do yeah. think mm-hmm. Fade might keep Beast around for a bit, so to mm-hmm. where he gets mm-hmm. like familiar because he's oh interesting yeah he was never on Arrakis true but Beast was there for so long right and actually the Baron kind of underestimated his his views when it came to the Fremen so Beast may have more of that freedom to go after the the Fremen right. more as he wanted to. And yeah. what the Emperor kind of wanted also. But I think Fade would still, right. his classic narcissistic ambition, I think he would keep him around <laughs> just long enough to where he would just be useful. And when he was done being useful, he would have him eliminated. And also kind of in keeping with what the Baron wanted anyways, was for the Beast to be the oppressor and Fade to be the savior. Oh. So yeah. I, I think that could have been really a neat opportunity to have their dynamic more because they don't really interact that much. Right, right. At all, I don't think. <laughs> right, if you don't read the context clues, I don't think it's ever even directly stated that they're brothers yeah. in the book. So yeah, I love that. I love that scenario. Yeah, more, more internal political intrigue between and House Arkin and that would have been neat. So I like that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It would also give those characters a chance to be like more fleshed out characters because they kind of exist as archetypical like forces to fight against and they don't really we kind of see Fade's agency throughout the book mm-hmm. a yeah. little bit with like the attempted assassination and blah blah blah. But it's like you no, know, it'd be kind of fun to see him really genuinely like, Oh shit, I'm in charge yeah. now. Have him make decisions. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And we also see Baron not be a totally savvy political mastermind with that again that tense conversation with uh with Fenring. So I wonder if is Fade ready politically and I wonder if he would be like humiliated or humbled in some grand way thinking I fucking mm-hmm. got this. Yo, I got that unearned confidence. <laughs> <laughs> he like shows up and Fenring's like I don't know puts him in a chokehold and is like, yeah. what are you doing, child? Yeah. Again, he is 16, so it's like, how much experience does he really have in being <laughs> yeah. in charge? I also, I like to imagine in your scenario, Abu, Alia would get to grow up with like a younger sibling. Yeah. Well, technically her nephew. Right. And then being able to have like a, a person to have a kind of childhood with. 
versus her brother, the emperor of the universe <laughs> that we see in Messiah. Yeah. Where she's, they're close, often, you know, of one mind and everything, but there's always that kind of distance where he's the one with the prescient powers and all this stuff versus her having sort of a, having more of that kind of sibling experience could be really stabilizing for her and actually probably could have saved her. Yeah. yeah. Hanging out with her nephew. Yeah. We all want better for Aaliyah. She has such a tragic, <laughs> yeah. tragic <Yes>. story. <laughs> so tragic. Um, well, yeah. Elaine, I'm curious yeah. how you think events would play out if the tooth successfully killed the Baron. Yeah. And going off of probably both yours and, and Leo's comments about the Emperor stepping in and having Count Fenring run things, I think he would definitely do that as he's his you know right-hand man and he did before and he could just easily move him from Caladan back to Arrakis to mm. stabilize things, be his eyes and ears and everything. But I do think the emperor would want to enforce more control through Fenring. Mm. And I think that might complicate things. And it made me wonder like, how would that complicate the emperor's will as far as Fenring's will? Because he has a dual allegiance with the sisterhood. Right. And he would likely want to do what's best to preserve both Fate's life and Paul's life. And so would that cause him to temper attacks on the Fremen? I mean, we know the Emperor wants them eliminated. He's long suspected their power. Yeah. But we know when it came down to it, Fenring chose the Sisterhood's plans. I mean, he himself is part of their breeding program. So Right, yeah. I think he would temper his approach, but I think in that, he'd want to uh, enforce more control. I think the emperor would allow him that authority, especially with the baron, you know, eliminated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he would have more authority there, and that would cause him to lessen, I guess, temper the attacks on the Fremen. And that act in itself mm. would change so much because beast brutality with the Fremen was a huge driving point. It emboldened the Fremen in their fight against their oppressors. Yeah. And he f- it fed their zeal, solidified their resolve to uh, attack them, that Paul could embolden them to rise up and unify to them. So if they don't have that, if it's a t- more tempered approach to them, I don't think they rise to that position of power that they, that they would have before, that they're just this unstoppable force. Mm-hmm. So Paul and company, they do, like you said, return to Caladan. The Bene Gesserit would want that too, because again, Fenring's working for them as well. So they want both Fade and Paul to live, or at least be able to get their DNA so that they can preserve the bloodline. True. So if there's a way for that to happen and the Emperor to still get what he wants, I think he would let them off Arrakis. As long as Atreides and Harkonnen houses are both significantly weakened, true. the Emperor Very gets true. his way. Yeah. And then yeah. and then the Bene Gesserit get their way as well, because they didn't want this conflict between the two houses to begin with, because it would risk the bloodlines being lost. Right, right. So yeah, I think that's a really cool scenario, and I think uh, it, it definitely would lessen the Fremen's influence. So it's a definite drastic change to how the galaxy worked out. <laughs> and then... Who knows? Everything's kind of more peaceful then, I guess. And <laughs> if the yeah. Bene Gesserit continue to get their way, possibly Paul's offspring and Fade's offspring would produce another Kwisatz Hadrock. And the Bene Gesserit get their yeah. way. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Uh, Elaine, you cracked the code happily ever after. <laughs> yeah. The status keeps quoing. <laughs> 
forever and ever. <laughs> I know. Y- y'all were more uh, very detailed in, in how things would work out. Uh, but that that itself really kind of clicked with me about yeah. what if the Fremen don't become this formidable force in the galaxy? Right, right. More than the Sardaukar. So that would change things drastically. Yeah. It's such a good reminder that Fenring works for the Emperor, but with his wife is very much an agent of the Bene Gesserit as well. Right. And like, that's something that I didn't even consider. But you're right that like, as soon as chaos erupts, the Bene Gesserit would employ any and all forces necessary to stabilize their plan, which includes the right hand man to the emperor. That's so interesting. Yeah, Fenring is definitely one of those key players that I think is so easy to forget. Almost as if by design. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I also really like, Elaine, that you pointed out that the emperor gets his way if this scenario happens. True. Because for him, the win-win scenario is House Atreides is weakened and House Harkonnen is weakened. He doesn't really care about some sort of feud between these two. All he cares about is making sure that the spice is protected, that he gets his spice, and that any threat to his throne is removed. And in the Dune book, as we know it, the threat is Duke Leto, the Atreides, and the troops that Gurney Halleck and Duncan Idaho have been training. Mm-hmm. But as you're saying, if the Baron dies, House Harkonnen is weakened and in disarray, House Atreides is devastated, and the Emperor's kind of like, okay, I'm done here. <laughs> you know, he just like washes his hands of it. He's like, great, n- neither of these houses can threaten me. I'm good. Yeah. And perhaps he steps back and just lets Count Fenring run things on Arrakis. I like that. I think yeah. that's a really good point you made. Yeah, re- really cool scenario. Very, uh, very interesting things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, let's move on to scenario number two, because this is the one that I picked. Mm. So I'm the one that's super excited about it. <laughs> I wanted to discuss with you two what would happen if Chani had survived childbirth in Dune Messiah and had lived mm. to raise the twins later on in Children of Dune. Interesting. So I, I actually, I want to toss this to you, Elaine. I, I'd love yeah. to hear what your thoughts on this. Yeah. So what if Chaney has survived childbirth? Mm. I mean, it's such a wonderful idea. Again, we we hope for the best for these characters, like we were saying with Aaliyah. Oh. We we want the best for Aaliyah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we want the best for, for Johnny. It was so tragic, her story in Dune Messiah. Very like Greek tragedy. Yeah. But her death is a catalyst for so many very things. True. Yeah. It's a very significant event. And so right. Paul, Paul going into the desert, her death was a major factor in that. So I think he, with you know her surviving childbirth, yeah, he doesn't leave her. He remains as the emperor, mm. doesn't go into the desert. And uh, that in itself is kind of like a happier prospect. They're all like together. One yeah. family. <laughs> Duncan is also there and just freshly with his memories returned to them. So he never really got to spend that much time with, with Paul or hate did uh, with Paul after his reawakening. Yeah. So that would have been <laughs> such a nice start. <laughs> nice, right. happy family. Yeah. However, um, <laughs> obviously there will still be drama. Uh, <laughs> no. Drama. <laughs> But it definitely would be interesting when it comes to the dynamic between Paul and Aaliyah. Mm. So with Paul remaining as emperor, Aaliyah never becomes regent. And also Paul going into the desert in the Fremen tradition, 
like that in itself cemented very much in the Fremen's eyes his mythical legendary status. Yeah. And I think that in combination with Aaliyah, her cult of followers, spearheaded that movement. Yeah. So without that, with Paul there to kind of temper that and her not uh, having that position of power as well as the religious leadership, definitely we wouldn't see that as influential as we saw in later in Children of Dune and le- less drama. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Would that be as interesting though with less drama? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, listen, sometimes it's nice to read a just chill, peaceful book. I do. I, I think you're absolutely right in that. Like there was a transference of godhood for like where Paul left this vacuum. All of the like followers of Paul were like, well, his holy sister remains. And you're right that like him remaining would absolutely temper that. That's a good point. Yeah. And I think, I think, um, with Cheney there, her physical presence, I think she would continue to voice her discontent with the softening of the Fremen culture. Mm. Um, as Arrakis transforms. So maybe Leto the second appreciates that and uses that to convince his mother Ooh. of the need to smash the Kanats and, and set back those terraforming oh, efforts. Oh, so snap. That's great. <laughs> oh, I love that. Because it's, it's such an interesting moment of the Fremen. They're kind of disappearing. Yeah. Arrakis made them who they are. It was this culture of survival. It was the entire culture of the Fremen. So, yeah, seeing through Chaney, like how it, or Chani, I'm sorry, <laughs> I say both. <laughs> You're fine. I was going to say, our listeners are going to have to get used to hearing the names pronounced correctly. Right. Because we've just like, you know, like we, We've whatever. committed to our bad pronunciations <laughs> and we're not changing. And we get emails like, periodically they're like actually it's mohaim and yeah. it's like no it's mohaim well, Frank <laughs> was completely fine with you know the different pronunciations there's a different pronunciations in david lynch's version he was fine with it he's sure. fine that's right he, he's that's he's right. chill <laughs> <laughs> yo i didn't know he was chill like that hell yeah <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I thought I think um, her being there would also have more of the contribution about like the Fremen culture. Yeah, I think mm. that would be a, a very interesting viewpoint from her to continue with that. Uh, but also, just uh, her presence is so stabilizing and supportive in Paul's life. She, of course, would continue yeah. to do that. Continue with that with the twins. It was with the twins. I mean, they did, especially Ganima, was very important. Uh, but it was all in her, within her, the ego presence of her, of her mother in her mind. Mm. But her physical presence being there, I'm sure, would would be probably add to that even more of that stabilizing force. So they likely would still have avoided abomination, but also with just maybe less challenges. Yeah. You know, having that stabilizing force of the entire family together, just support from both their parents. And, of course, the twins having each other, that in itself was uh, very instrumental yeah. to manage their preborn nature. So I think it would just be more stable. <laughs> Again, probably less right, drama yeah. uh, within their Fewer lousy tigers pants. in their lives, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How many fewer? Are we talking like one fewer or two, t- two fewer? <laughs> and perhaps, again, if we all, want, we all want the best for Aaliyah, perhaps True. with this stable family-ish. Yeah. Uh, Aaliyah could possibly avoid possession with her brother mm-hmm. still there. Right. You know, I think she felt really abandoned by everyone. Right. She needed her family too. So. Right. Yeah. Totally. True. Totally. But yeah. So hopefully we get a happy end for Aaliyah in that in that scenario. Yeah. 
But when it comes to the golden path, because that's that's a huge thing, I don't think Paul would walk the golden path still. Mm. Yeah, I think he would still avoid the golden path. He's still dealing with the ramifications of the jihad Yeah, in his name. So I think he's still pretty bummed out about that. And he already has the lives of billions weighing on him. So I don't think he would have it in him still, even with Chani there, to walk that path again that would lead to such tyrannical rulership and death and destruction that that path would require. Right. Would Leto still see the need to do that? Uh, maybe. Yeah. I would think so, yeah. probably. Yeah. I agree. Because again, he's still got that Fremen side in him from his mother. Right. That sort of Fremen brutality and practicality to do what must be done. Yeah. Also, and he hadn't met someone like Johnny yet, right? Yeah. Like he has that moment with Sabiha in, in uh, Children of Dune, but like still he didn't have the unbreakable desire to be with someone that like Paul has with Johnny. So here's a question. Do we think that Paul would still be fully blind? Mm. Because technically that happens at the moment of the ch- the twins' births because that's the moment he knows that the visions have split off. Oh, that's interesting. Although... Ignore me because no, he wouldn't. Because even the preacher and, after and, uh, his full blindness, I was just gonna could say that. still see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say in Children of Dune, he still clearly hints at like poking into prescience and yeah. looking at things. So okay, never mind. <laughs> he has a period of temporary blindness yeah. with the shock of having two kids, and then he's back to <laughs> flying ornithopters and grabbing telephones from people's hands mid conversation yeah. and yeah, fun stuff. Well, I think juggling. in Elaine's series of events, like. Paul's godhood becomes even more godly because now he's this mm. like holy blind god that flies ornithopters by himself. <laughs> yeah. You know? And so I, I think he like he grows even bigger. His influence over the Fremen and his godliness probably just overshadows as Elaine, you were saying, like Alia's influence definitely is undercut because her brother is still there. He is still the <laughs> Messiah, still the chosen one. Yeah. And now he's blind, which is, you know, in many religions is, is always equated with even more holiness. Yeah. He just gets more and more mopey, though. So like <laughs> 10 years later, he's like dragging his arms on the floor and he's like, oh, <laughs> this religion, I hate it. Have you heard of uh, Slipknot? Have you s- <laughs> Stilgar, what's your favorite band on three? One, two, three, Slipknot. Oh, my God. Whoa. <laughs> Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you predict would happen, Elaine. Yeah, I, cool. I think that's pretty accurate to how I think events would take place, too. Um, what about you, though, Leo? I, I, I mean, listen, I agree a lot with what Elaine said, and a lot of what I wrote is the same. I think if Chani survived, Paul wouldn't go out into the desert, which means Leto and Ganema would have had actual parents yep. and not like memory ghost parents, <laughs> Casper, the friendly parental <laughs> figures. And... That's huge because, again, recall that like even the other memories, as helpful as they were, are frozen at the moment of conception. And how much did Chani grow and learn from the moment that she conceived the twins to the moment of delivering them and then beyond? And same thing for Paul, where like Paul is a very different person by the time of Children of Dune and the kids are 12 or whatever, 9, 9, 10, you know. He's a very different person. So having that different voice to kind of have a conversation with would be very different. I think the first years of the twins would be pretty quiet. I think Paul would continue to rule, exactly like you said, Elaine, as this sort of like eyeless emperor who's this 
you know, his mythology is growing rapidly. I also like the idea of him using baby vision <laughs> more times, you know, looking through the eyes oh my of, God. <laughs> of his son, Leto. I didn't even think of that. So he's like wearing like one of those baby Bjorns with his like baby son <laughs> on his chest. And he's like, before you fucking lie to me again, look into the eyes of my baby and tell me that. And they're like, ew, it's looking at me. What the fuck is happening? Did your baby just wink at me? Incredible. Paul's like, maybe. <laughs> maybe vision. he did. Very smart baby. He's a very smart baby. <laughs> Baby's like, you shouldn't take this deal, dad. It's not a... It's not a I checked my Excel spreadsheet, color-coded. Yeah. No, you shouldn't take this deal. <laughs> So I like that idea. It's like a go-go gadget trick. You know, he's got baby vision. I don't think that Alia would fall to abomination. And for similar reasons, I think that like Paul's leaving really left her alone. And she kind of was trying anything to have the prescience that he had, which involved crazy amounts of spice, which like generally is not super good of an idea for Atreides people. And we see Ganema and Leto too being like, oh yeah, no, we avoid spice generally because it's really risky. It's really dangerous. I think she would have had a normal-ish life as a like high priestess of Paul's religion as Saint Alia of the Knife. Mm -hmm. And she'd just continue working with that sword dummy thing and enjoying a happy marriage with Duncan Idaho. Also, you know, a sword dummy in many ways. <laughs> I think Leto would have started to have prescient visions about when we see him having prescient visions in Children of Dune. So probably at around like nine, he has dreams that come true. And I think at that point, he would start becoming cognizant of the Golden Path. And I think he would, and with the Fremen brutality and, and pragmatism, I think he would be like, yeah, this needs to happen. But with Paul's more stable and more present, I think it would be more of a dialogue between father and son. And I... I think that like it would be many conversations, many times they would talk. And I think eventually Paul still wouldn't even saying, hey, do you see this shit that I'm seeing? And Leto's like, yeah, dad, sorry. Sorry to tell you. I see the same <laughs> terrible season seven of that TV series. Yeah. And uh, Paul's like, oh, no. <laughs> How, <laughs> do was, it? How do we avoid it? How do we avoid it? So I think Paul still wouldn't have the courage to do it. And I think Leto still would. So then it would just be a matter of Leto convincing Paul that it should happen or failing to convince Paul until Paul dies of natural causes. And then I think Leto would sort of take over the reins as a young man and probably start the Santrat skin thing that we see in Children of Dune. Yeah. Post Paul dying. Right. Perhaps later in his life than nine. Yeah, exactly. And that maybe then he would have a chance to like have a bit of a normal like teenage year period you know like that could be cool another big difference here i think is at the end of children of dune ganema is pretty much the only person in the atreides bloodline able to have kids so that kind of falls on her and at the end of children of dune she's like 12 <laughs> she's like 11 and she's like gonna have a lot of kids and yeah. it's like oh that sucks that shouldn't fall on your shoulders squarely so I do imagine Alia's still around, able to have kids if she wants to. You know, maybe Paul and Chani have another kid. I don't know. They're they're still young. They're still banging, as yeah. we see yeah. multiple times in Messiah. <laughs> so anyway, that's my general sense. Is a lot of the same stuff that Elaine said, and then added hilarity of baby vision and uh, look into my baby's eyes and tell me that. <laughs> yeah, love it. Uh, anyway, 
That's my take. Abu. Yeah. Wrapping us up on this uh, this scenario. What do you think? Episode two, Dune, what if um, Johnny survives childbirth? I agree with basically everything both of you have said. So uh, I think what I'll do instead of reiterating the things that I do agree with, I'm going to diverge a little bit and talk about sure. some interesting differences that I think would take place from the series of events that you two have laid out. I think if Chani lived to raise the twins, I agree that Paul would continue as emperor, but I don't think his relationship with Leto would be smooth for their entire lives because they butt heads as the preacher and a nine-year-old wormy boy in Children of <laughs> Dune. Right. And Leto full on says, I'll kill you if I have to. And I imagine they would similarly butt heads when it came time to have the hard conversations about the golden path because Paul is not ready to commit to it. Paul loves Chani. Paul loves his family. He's not ready to make those sacrifices. He doesn't necessarily have the grit, the Fremen grit that Leto does to make those choices. Plus, Leto is younger, hasn't fallen in love yet, doesn't really have any attachments outside of Ganema right. to sort of hold him back from making the sacrifices. Right. Yeah. I think there's almost a scenario here where Leto has to overthrow or discredit his father mm. in order to take over, mm. to maybe shoot down Muad'Dib's godhood and declare himself the true god, the true messenger, whatever, so that he can take over and finally steer humanity down the golden path that Paul perhaps is avoiding because he doesn't want to or can't. I do think early on, Chani's presence and having like a parental presence in general would make the twins' lives easier and would ultimately protect Alia from succumbing to abomination. Because again, as we've discussed before, she'd have that family unit. Right. Yeah. And they're a very weird family at this point, like looking into the past, <laughs> present, future, everything. But they can at least compare notes and talk amongst each other. So I think the twins' lives are easier and Alia doesn't succumb to abomination for many years. But ultimately, I think there comes a point where Leto has to disrupt everyone's lives and overthrow his father and in almost like a very Shakespearean way, take the throne by force because Paul won't do what has to be done. He doesn't have the gumption. And Leto's like, Dad, we got to do some real bad shit. And if you won't do it, then I have to. I really like that. It definitely adds that drama and tension. Yeah. As we were yeah. talking about before, everything kind of seems so tidy and neat. And it's not its not really that interesting when you think about it. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> this is not a neat and tidy universe. It makes it interesting when we see conflict. And I, I think the conflict that you were spelling out with between Paul and Leto II, especially if he feels the need to just like discredit him or overthrow him, that sounds so interesting. Mm -hmm. And I think that definitely could could happen. Yeah. Yeah, I think it would definitely make for some juicy like family drama situation because mm -hmm. I, I think another layer to this is Chani. I was going to say, yeah. She's still around. She's still the mother figure in all of this. And now if Leto and Paul are feuding about the future of humanity, she's stuck in this awkward middle ground. Mm -hmm. On one side, there's the love for her children. But on the other side, there's the love for her life partner and the father of her children right. and her wanting to protect both. So I almost imagine a scenario where we, the reader or the viewer, are left wondering, like, 
will she, won't she, you know, like who is she going to side with? Is she going to side with Paul? Is she going to side with Leto? How much of the golden path does she even believe? Right. Because in Dune Messiah, Chani's just kind of like, there's Paul again, doing his weird vision shit. (laughs) I guess I believe him, but she also Uh feels some frustration where Paul is so distant and says shit like, you know, our, our child will have an empire greater than mine. And she's like, I, can we just eat dinner, please? <laughs> yeah. So there is like this question of like, <laughs> where does Chani land in all of this drama? Sure. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think just to wrap up, I think this series of events leads to like a really juicy story that's like full of court intrigue and court <laughs> drama and like yeah. a family torn apart. You know, it's almost like a house divided because you start to think, okay, but who do the attendants like Gurney and fear and Duncan, who do they start siding with, right? If the house divides down the middle between Paul on one side and Leto on the other, and them butting heads, maybe Duncan's like, yeah, man, I agree with Paul. I'm on his side. So I almost imagine like this schism taking place within House Atreides in this series of events. At least they had a few good years. <laughs> <laughs> right. They, they have like a good like yeah. nine to ten years at the start. Yeah. And, and then this it's whole Golden decade. Path shit starts happening. And then drama. <laughs> Gurney formally marries Jessica, oh, gives shit. her the husband, and then it's like, oh, stepdad Gurney, and I'll sing you a song, you know? It's like, oh, dad, stepdad, okay. So, okay, I, tonal question. Yeah. So, family drama. We can get a showrunner from one of two shows. Okay. Either Succession oh. or Arrested Development. <laughs> 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 wow, that's a tough tonal question. Yeah. But uh, it's an easy answer for me. I love succession. And yeah, like imagine a succession style House of Trades drama with a family torn apart. And the, you know, what's in the balance is the future of humanity. Ali is selling ecstasy at the club again. Oh, God. Get... <laughs> Arrested yeah. development. Well. That's my choice. Okay, <laughs> that's your choice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's a perfectly Gertie's valid like, route to I go blew to. myself. <laughs> or maybe for the first few years, and yeah. then as it gets serious, right. <laughs> succession. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be such a crazy experience to watch like a family drama show <laughs> and to have showrunners from Succession handle like the final episodes and the first episodes <laughs> handled by showrunners of yeah. Arrested Development. Oh, Amazing. Yeah. Um, so th- that's how I imagine this scenario would play out with Chani still being alive. Perhaps a seri- series of events that eventually tears House Atreides apart. That's really cool. Amazing. <laughs> it's fun to think about. Very, very cool. Well, that's our second scenario done. We're going to hop into our third scenario right after a quick break. Oh. So uh, think about which showrunners you want on your what if scenarios. And we'll be right back right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone. Let's talk about our third and final scenario today. This one, Elaine, was you. So I'll let you do the honors. What's our third scenario? Okay, so what if 
Leto survived and escaped into the desert with Paul,、mm. and Jessica was killed in the attack on Arakeen. Yeah. Well, wow. Okay. Okay. So I'd love to hear. This is the scenario that you picked, Elaine. So I'd love to hear your take. How, how would the events of the book go if that was the case? What do you think?、Mm. Okay. So. I guess I could pose this question to you. So it, it kind of there's a series of questions and events that would unfold.、Mm-hmm. So if Leto escapes into the desert with Paul, would that mean that Leto would have been challenged by Jameis or some other Fremen?、Mm. And if so, could Leto beat a Fremen in a duel? Oh shit! So he was 51, but he was very vital. Vital is that the right word? Very healthy, fifty-one, <laughs>、yeah. and he was also the leader of the most capable military force in the Imperium. Obviously,、right. it was rivaling the Emperor Sardaukar. So he's definitely there. Would be value in that for the Fremen. They would recognize the strength of Leto. I think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he already had like was establishing some good relations with them already, which is why they even had. You know, Stilgar even recognized, or that Liet told him to protect these two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Bought yeah. them a place among the Fremen.、Um, so I was gonna say because Jameis picks the bone with with Stilgar's decision to keep Jessica alive, and then or was Jameis eager? Like I'm trying to remember Jameis's motivations and try to transplant them onto this scenario because I do think that like yeah, Stilgar to your point has been told the Duke and his son. Are important, and there was a certain、right. sense of like, okay, so I'll protect the boy, but the mother, she's a liability. Like whatever, she can, yeah, we'll kill her. But yeah, would Jameis have challenged them at all? I I gotta say, I do think that Leto would be the sort of Duke to have coaching lessons with like Gurney and Duncan on the side.、Mm-hmm. Like I don't see him as being like, I don't ever need to fight ever. <laughs> I think he'd be like, yeah, I'm in there because. If I'm capable in a conflict, am able to handle myself well. That cultivates bravura. That demonstrates to my men that I'm not just all talk. I think he's the sort of leader to be a little bit more like in the gym、yeah. with his like with his bros. Like, <laughs> yeah, let's like lift iron for House of Trades. But I don't know.、Yeah. Uh, well, I, I mean, has Paul received the best training as well? And and for what purpose?、True. So because of assassination attempts. Right. True. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. it's yeah. so prevalent among the nobles. So I think I think he would. Yeah. As well. Wow. Do we think Duke Leto is shredded <laughs> underneath that、yep. uniform? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Looks fit. <laughs> we already know he's hot, but it, yeah, he's.、Uh, I think he's probably. And, and again,、yeah. I think it speaks to also that he's he's like almost the exact opposite of the Baron, right? So where the Baron is just this overly indulgent, narcissistic,、mm. like he embodies everything that Leto isn't. Yeah, Leto is、true. smart, intelligent, and disciplined. So, yeah, I think he'd be fit <laughs> for that reason. Yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> But、that's、would they point. even see the necessity to challenge him at that point? I think I'm, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> that's my thought too. I don't even know if a challenge would happen. Yeah, because、really、maybe Jameis just、about. felt personally offended that this、uh, tiny woman bested him. Like he just first encountered Benny Jesseret, so maybe that kind of threw、that's、him、right. off. What、that's、did he、right. say that there、that's、was w- witchcraft at work and? A Tiano Basin, or where they found them.、Hmm. I think that his pride was kind of 
at work there. Yeah. Also getting disarmed by Paul and like his mala, he's like a <laughs> mala pistol <laughs> in the bush or whatever. <laughs> or oh, yeah. He, he, yeah. Paul? Okay. Then maybe not. But, yeah. but that's the thing. It's like even that moment bursting out into violence was partially precipitated by the fact that Stilgar was like, we'll protect Paul, but we're not going to protect Jessica. Mm-hmm. And then like that was the violence. And if it had been Paul and this Duke who so quickly wins over Fremen by being a very direct, very honest guy. Yeah. I mean, Liette liked him. Yeah. And Liette I think liked that him. And bought him significant influence, I think. Yeah, definitely. So maybe maybe it just would have been a peaceful walk to yeah. Siege to Burr. Right. <laughs> They're like, yeah, you two are chill. Cool. Yeah, yeah. come along. <laughs> just some shaking of hands. Yeah. So in that regard, if, if that initial meeting went smoothly, then would he would Leto have been the one to help form the Fremen into an even more lethal and effective force? Because mm. they would still see Paul maybe in a different light. Mm-hmm. Similar, but maybe not as fervently so as in the beginning. They would see the signs in him, I think, but Jessica was a great, a significant factor in the imme- almost immediate acceptance of him. There were still some lingering doubts that were settled later on. Um, but yeah, her presence and obviously becoming Reverend Mother was a significant factor in that regard. So without that, would it just be just different dynamics then? Less the religious side, but maybe like a balance of that, of just uh, fighting against the Harkonnens and just aligning with them as he intended to do versus the religious reasons behind it. So maybe there's more of a balance there. Yeah. Because to your point, Jessica is very much playing the Bene Gesserit Missionaria Protectiva card Mm -hmm. the entire time that they're in the desert. And so in order to survive and be accepted among the Fremen, they are leaning into the whole Messiah bit. Yeah. But if Jessica's not there and they're not leaning into the whole Bene Gesserit religious manipulation, perhaps it is just a straightforward political, practical negotiation with a duke. Yeah. And the Fremen are like, let's work with this Duke. I think they would still see him as the possibility of their Mahdi, because at the very least, they Mm -hmm. know that he's a son of the Bene Gesserit. Right. And they knew that from the very beginning, from their arrival. So they at least knew that. Yeah, like shout out confirmed, like, oh yeah, Yeah. for sure. So they at least would know that that might be enough. And with his awakening prescience, that could be uh, enough. So at the very least, he rises to a place of great influence. But with yeah, Leto sure. also serving as that authority figure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's kind of interesting to think about. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But then yeah. it's kind of tragic to think about poor Aaliyah. So if Jessica dies, Aaliyah isn't born. Oh, yeah. So what does that mean for the Baron? Does the Baron still die? Oh. He's obviously not going to die in the same way. but <laughs> Right, right. There's no meet my Atreides Gamjabar uh. uncle. <laughs> Grandfather. Grandfather, and, sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was salt in the wound that she was like, meet the Atreides Gamjabar nephew. And he's like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> Fucking what? You're a child. <laughs> right before he died. I'm your grandpappy. Show me some respect. Utterly confused. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question, Elaine. Without, without Alia, what happens in that series of events with the Baron? I think that Nothing might change in that much in that regard, especially at that point. I mean, at that point in the story, the climax of the story, the emperor's kind of taking charge anyways. Yeah. He might have put him to death or exiled him or just uh, had him charged with treason or something if he wanted to make it more official. Right. 
But ultimately, it probably doesn't matter. If the Baron lives or dies at this point, the Fremen are unbeatable. Right. Under Leto and Paul at this point. Yeah, they would still have the the training from both Leto and Paul. So, yeah, I think they'd still be just as formidable. True. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But with him, yeah, after their victory on Arrakis, would Leto get the upper hand and be installed as emperor, realizing the emperor's greatest fear? Oh, self-fulfilling prophecy for House Carino. I like that. I do love that part. I do wish that would be awesome. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's funny because like every time in these like what if it's like i find myself being pulled gravitationally towards scenarios that make my favorite characters yeah. happier yeah i'm oh, like and sure. then leto finds a five dollar bill underneath his, <laughs> in his like pa- pair of pants he hasn't worn in a while <laughs> he's like whoa a winning lottery ticket right. i was just gonna make that joke he scratches off like a lotto ticket and gets a hundred dollars <laughs> hey, he's, he's not playing the big lotto he's not an idiot he's, no he's playing he's playing the scratch off like twenty dollars yeah. <laughs> That's so funny, too, because as we were talking about the family dynamics, if Cheney lived and everything and everyone's kind of happy for a bit, uh-huh. it kind of made me wonder, well, if that changed with the adversity, what if the adversity and the challenges were the thing that made the difference in the twins avoiding abomination? Ooh. There's that thing. Yes, we want everything to work out. But what if it's this? It's those tragic events that shape them. Oh. Yeah, how much is yeah. the Amtal necessary <laughs> to make them who they are? It's almost as if Amtal is the core theme of the <laughs> Dune universe, or whatever the thesis of that last episode we did together was. Before the course of this exercise, my, my what yeah. if scenario, yeah, has a nice nice ending for Leto. Yeah. No, no, I think it, it, it could work out uh, as well as uh, logistically, because that is a, a legit fear that the Emperor had. If Leto is still around, I think... He's right. very savvy, very smart. So I think, again, he could get the Landsrad behind him. And as long as they get the spice, as long as the spice flowing, Space and Guild don't care yeah. who's Emperor. Yeah. True. Right. True. Agreed. It's funny how in all of these scenarios, it's like whoever immediately, like whoever brokers peace with the Fremen immediately wins. Right. Wins the galactic game because sure enough, whoever controls the spice controls the universe. That is the ultimate lever if you know how to pull it. And as long as Paul is alive, someone will figure out how to pull that level. Yeah, so true. Yeah. I love that. I love this scenario of Leto, excuse me, of Emperor Leto. <laughs> Emperor Leto Climbing the, the throne. golden throne. Rolls off the tongue. Yeah. The golden hawk throne. Ooh. <laughs> uh, I don't know. All screech, the emperor is here. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't have the same ring on it. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Golden that's Hawk Throne. Uh, that's okay. A, we're figuring out the branding. That, that's yeah. still, it's, we'll figure it out. <laughs> Back we're to the whiteboard yeah. for his, uh, his, his brand <laughs> But, but yeah. with Leto now as Emperor, like, how will that change, like, the dynamics of still, like, Paul and the Fremen's relationship? Mm. So would the jihad still happen if Leto is the one installed as Emperor? Oh. Mm, interesting. Yeah. And if there's still some of their acceptance of him? of Paul as their Mahdi. Mm. So if the yeah. Fremen are granted sovereignty of Arrakis and Paul is like, could could still be their leader. That could be his fief. Obviously, Leto's in charge. I'm sure he would do that. <laughs> yeah. If yeah. that's what Paul wants, obviously he's with Chani. So it would make sense for him to have the fief of Arakeen under Leto's authority. Arrakis could still be transformed into that green planet. So that could be 
a significant factor in still seeing Paul as the Mahdi. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How that will factor into the jihad, I don't know. Still working that out. But they would right, still preserve yeah. the spice flow. So again, as long as that's going, everything's fine. And eventually, maybe Paul and Shani's offspring still might see the need for the golden path. Still see that. That's It's always there. <laughs> lingering over everything the golden yeah, path. Yeah. Right. And you would imagine in that scenario yeah. Leto would eventually step down and give the throne to Paul. So Paul right. perhaps rises to become emperor regardless, maybe just on a later timeline than he does in the actual book. Yeah. I'm trying to remember even the like core fire of the jihad. And I think part of it was just making the universe bow down to this new emperor and quashing rebellions basically and dethroning false prophets and false gods and you know like that that sort of thing is what drove the jihad and so like if paul were made emperor and then you know you have this period of time where jessica's like hey in your next like universal address leto can you like kind of mention that there might be a savior at some point and he's like okay whatever right and then they soften the universe to this idea and then they don't have to have the jihad like yeah, I could see I could see there being no jihad with all of that considered. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. So I wonder if Paul himself then would walk the golden path without that weight of the jihad. I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I, I still think it's his <laughs> attachment to Johnny. I also yeah. do wonder yeah. if like, kind of your point about the twins, maybe the twins had to see Alia fall to abomination for them to fully understand the risk and to avoid mm-hmm. it themselves. Mm-hmm. Maybe... The golden path is only possible by Paul's kid because Paul would choose not to follow the golden path. Mm. And also, there, I, I always think about the fact that like Paul is kind of a generation early, and Leto's abilities, Paul acknowledges in Children of Dune, are like far greater than his own. So, someone like Leto is necessary to walk the golden path. And although Paul could have tried, it's possible it just would have always fallen on his kid at some point. I don't know. I think I think that would have to be Leto. I don't think Paul could do it. Yeah, I don't know. Very Anakin, Luke, chosen one. Like, if Paul is our Anakin, chosen one. Luke is still the one to bring balance. Leto too's famous inter entry line. Hello there. <laughs> <laughs> As he like throws the giant door down and everyone spins and turns and hello there. <laughs> um, yeah, taken directly from Dune. I'm told. Yeah. <laughs> so. I agree, actually, with a lot of what Elaine said. Mm. My series of events in this situation, where Jessica is the one that dies and Leto is the one that survives with Paul out in the desert, is very similar. I also question what would take place in that showdown with Stilgar and Jameis, because as I said earlier, Jessica plays such a critical role in Paul's journey in becoming the Messiah within the Fremen. She literally becomes their reverend mother, right? Joins a sacred part of their culture which just continues to help cement the myth of the Missionaria Protectiva. Leto, obviously not Benny Gesserit, knows nothing about the Missionaria Protectiva, and thus, like, wouldn't know the right, like, religious things to say to convince the Fremen or to convince people like Stilgar who believe in this messiah. I don't think Leto's out here, like, citing scripture in the way that Jessica (laughs) does a couple of times in key moments in the actual story. I also don't think Leto would go toe-to-toe with Stilgar, because Leto doesn't know the weirding way. And despite how shredded he may be, he's still a duke, and I still don't think he'd be able to stand up to someone like Stilgar in like a one-to-one 
tussle situation. So I, I think the Tiano Basin confrontation would play out dramatically differently. And I agree with Elaine that I think it would actually be less confrontation and more just like shaking of hands and like, oh, you're the Duke, you're important. Let us protect you. Let's create some sort of alliance. I don't think it would end in like a Jameis Paul showdown like it does in the real story. I do think this then leads into a much more political story than a religious mm, one. Yeah. Because if Leto and Paul are the ones surviving out in the desert, they are going to be playing more of a political game with the Fremen, akin to what Leto originally wanted to do when they arrived on Arrakis, right? Form an alliance, utilize the Fremen, defeat our enemies, spring the trap. Desert power. Desert power. Exactly. I think they would go all in on desert power if it was father and son out in the desert. And I think for a few reasons that would work really well. I mean, Stilgar and Leto have obviously already met at this point in the story, and Stilgar begrudgingly respects this duke because it turns out he's cool and he spits <laughs> really well on the table. Yeah. And so at the very least, he'd be open to an alliance. I think he would actually be pretty gung-ho about it too. I think rather than Paul becoming a messiah though, I think this series of events might actually lead him to becoming just sort of an influential fighter and perhaps even like a warlord is maybe the wrong word, but like higher up within the ranks. Maybe he does get his own Fadakin sort of hit squad because he's so talented and skilled and because Duke and Paul train the Fremen so much. I think he Paul becomes influential, but I don't know that he becomes like full on God, at least during their time out in the desert, just because I don't think that's the route they'd be going with the Duke there. I do agree that Leto and Stilgar would unify the Fremen under the Atreides banner. They'd form an alliance. Paul and Leto would train them. And thus, the Fremen forces would be able to overthrow the Harkonnen. Yeah. And maybe reveal the Emperor's deception in all of this. So I think the attack on Arakeen still happens at the end. The Baron still dies. And Leto climbs the throne, just as Elaine said. I actually really like that image of Paul ruling Arrakis as like the local governor. That's his fiefdom. He's there married to Chani. And Leto is reporting up to as the emperor of the entire galaxy. I also think in this instance, I'm not sure that Paul's powers fully awaken. I do think he's still having prescient visions because obviously there's still spice intake, but I don't think he goes into the coma. I don't think he takes the water of life because that series of events really happens because of Jessica's influence and because of Jessica's knowledge and the water of life ceremony and all of that. Right. So I think Paul is still struggling with visions at this point, but is not a full on Super Saiyan Kwisatz Haderach because he didn't undergo that coma (laughs) situation. Yeah. And I, I think it really is up to Paul and Chani's children to become the real Kwisatz Hatteracks, if it ever gets to that point, yeah. because the like devious drama side of me also wonders what are the Benny Gesserit up to, right? They're watching all of this take place. Yeah. yeah. What if they are like, wait a second, you are the Emperor's son, Paul Atreides. You are so important to our plans. You can't just go marry a Fremen. Right. We're not going to allow you to tarnish our breeding plans and to ruin our carefully laid plans to breed you and to create the Kwisatz Hatterax. So, I think Paul is actually probably struggling in this series of events. He's probably struggling a lot with Benny Gesserit assassination attempts against Johnny and 
propositions from the Benny Gesserit for him to marry the correct person. You know, I think there becomes quite a bit of intrigue in Paul's life as like the ruler of Arrakis. Not only is he the one managing the spice, but he is also critical to the Kwisatz Haderach plans. I don't think he becomes the Kwisatz Haderach, but I think he becomes critical in creating the Kwisatz Haderach. And so that potentially leads to a lot of interesting scenarios. I was going to ask, so I had this thought. I didn't even consider this when I wrote my response to this. Do you think the Bene Gesserit would send a new Bene Gesserit sister to Leto? I think so. I think they would certainly try. I agree. I think they would send someone immediately. I think mm-hmm. they'd be like, Jessica's dead? Oh, shit. Like, we have this agent that is a byproduct of 10,000 years of work out in the desert. So, no, we need we need a Bene Gesserit by Someone his on side. the inside, yeah. And then maybe she, through her savviness, realizes it's not like a seduce him and then you're back on track. It's mm-hmm. like a be an advisor to Leto because this terrible thing has happened and he's grieving the loss of Jessica. And and then she can also like guide Paul or like kind of get Paul back on board. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the Benny Gesserit are much more involved in this scenario. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if it would be Irulan. <laughs> Oh, oh my god. Shit. <laughs> the Emperor did think about that at one time. Um, yeah. But because he was a little older, I think I think that was the reason. Wow. Jinx. Yeah, crazy. Or maybe cuz are they all I'm trying to think if they're all Bene Gesserit trained, all of the They're not all Bene Gesserit. Erlon yeah, definitely the, the... is and I think it would just be a, another marriage of, in name only or title only. Because mm-hmm, I don't yeah. think Leto really loved Jessica. Yeah, yeah. But totally. I think also he would be open to it for the political side of things, same way as Paul was. Yeah, definitely. I was also thinking, I don't know that he would be that resistant to reciting scripture. It's clearly not in his wheelhouse, but he hires propagandists. Mm-hmm. And so if he had a savvy Benny Gesserit next to him going, listen, this is just another type of propaganda. You don't understand why it's going to work, but it's going to work. Like you say these words the next time you're talking to your men, to the empire, you know, to whoever, and it's going to resonate with people in a way that you won't fully grasp, but like, trust me, try it, see what happens. And I feel like he'd be like, okay, I don't like doing this, but this is a lever to pull and I know how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Having a Benny Gesserit by Duke Leto's side and perhaps having it even be Irulan opens a whole nother can of worms. That's I like, know, it that's, does. <laughs> that's so interesting. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Very cool. Well, Leo, what do you think? What, what do you think takes place if Leto and Paul end up in the desert instead of Jessica and Paul? Yeah. Um, I think for this, it's, it's, I mean, again, super interesting scenario. Thank you, Elaine, for setting my mind ablaze with all these possibilities. <laughs> I think, and, and to be clear, I think we're all kind of in alignment that this is, Baron Harkonnen's alive as well, right? Yes. Yeah. Because obviously, like, no tooth no, scenario, no, tooth scenario. no UE, yeah. no, you know, yeah. all that stuff. So I would say that Leto and Paul getting out of this political trap that House Harkonnen and House Carino have set for him gives them kind of a trump card politically. And you're right, Elaine, from earlier that there is a certain like plausible deniability that they can just say, oh, the Sardaukar commanders did their own thing. But I think someone like Leto, who commands as much charisma and popularity within the Lancerad, is a real threat to House Carino alive still. I agree with that. So 
a little bit to be kind of spicy, I wanted to explore this one narrative possibility, which is that Leto and Paul meet up with Stilgar's troop. Mm-hmm. I do kind of imagine Jameis, you know, if it did come to blows, I imagine Jameis still challenging. And I do see Duke Leto being like, it is important for my son to earn this. And I believe that he can do this. He's got this, you know, like I believe him letting that play out could happen. Also, as we've joked about Abu, Paul's this fucking pasty off-worlder claiming to be the Lisan al-Gaib. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, fuck that guy. Also, we know Jameis hates people with boring-ass names. He just got finished killing a Fremen named Jeff. He's like, yeah. what's the guy's... What's this kid's name? Paul? <laughs> oh, fucking hold me back, bro. Hold me back. This kid's <laughs> going down. Like, so I imagine maybe that happens. Paul kills mm-hmm. him, as he mm-hmm. does, and is named Usul of Siege to Burr. Uh, this is also House Atreides gaining from an alliance. And although Leto is despondent over Jessica's death, you know, lost the love of his life, he puts on a strong face throughout all of this. I think that Paul and Leto would get off planet. Oh. And I was picturing, you know, they're presumed dead as they were when they met up with Stilgar and and, uh, and everything. And... uh I imagine it's a Landsraad council and they're going, oh my God, it's so tragic. We really liked Duke Leto and the fact that he died and oh, that's so sad. And oh, Baron Harkonnen's being such an asshole about it. He's bragging. He's, and then the yeah. doors get kicked open. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he busts in fog machines, full blast, just trumpets blaring. And Leto's like, what up? It's your boy. <laughs> Leto Atreides and they're like oh my god it's John Cena it's Leto Atreides so and I imagine him like presenting facts you know like maybe he stayed out in the desert with the Fremen long enough to gather some like Sardaukar uniforms maybe they intercept a distrans they like get the the receipts the receipts he brings receipts and he's like yo Lancerad here's what fucking happened and they're like yeah you do look dusty and kind of sweaty and he's like no time for a shower I came straight here <laughs> so he reveals in this incredible entrance the Carino plot brings receipts maybe he even brings drags in Captain Otto Aramsham the Sardaukar captain that gets captured by Paul and the other people who's hiding with the smugglers. And the Lancerad votes to end the Golden Lion dynasty. I think the House Carino is ousted. Wow. And with this new political vacuum, who's the most popular dude who's also now like a recent victim of political intrigue? Mm-hmm. I think wow. our boy, ya boy, Leto, gets voted in by the Lancerad as the new emperor of the universe. He takes up his throne. And then he banishes... House Carino, the remaining members, back to uh, Seleucus Secundus. Now, I do like to think that Paul, when his like emergent prescient abilities and putting two and two together about the Sardaukar are almost certainly a byproduct of how harsh it is in Seleucus Secundus, I imagine Paul is like, we should make that like a garden planet. And Leto's like, fucking what? Why? <laughs> like, that's a, he's like, no, 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 like, trust me. And he's like, okay, I'll yeah. spin it well. And he says, okay, we're going to make it nice so it's not as bad of a punishment. We're not sending him to a prison planet. We're sending him to like a nice mm-hmm. garden place. It's going to be sweet. Like before, I think that Paul does return to Arrakis. He explores his dreams of Zendaya. He's like, listen, 
I, I dad, I gotta go. <laughs> I gotta go for, for reasons, reasons you understand, I'm sure. And I think he perhaps properly marries Chani because his political power is not going to be as questioned because mm-hmm. Leto's emperor already. It's not right. like you have to, he doesn't have to marry Irulan. So it's like, okay, might as well. And uh, I also think that Leto would probably declaw House Harkonnen somehow. And um, yeah. yeah, generally, that's kind of how I see it playing out. A lot of yeah. a lot of the same things that I think y'all have highlighted so yeah. far. Yeah, I like your take that they would get off planet. Yeah. yeah. Instead of embedding with the Fremen. That's, that's interesting. Because now that you say that, I do realize Duke Leto Atreides is kind of an important guy. And he would have enough leverage to go to the smugglers and be like, get me the fuck off this planet. Yeah. I have a Landstride council meeting to, <laughs> to, <laughs> to burst yeah. in on. I also think Paul advocated for them staying on Arrakis because he saw the Fremen as the only path as toward the, only the future, path, right. as the only path. And with a bargaining chip like, I don't know, head of House Atreides, popular in the Landstrad, hot yeah. shredded guy, Leto Atreides... <laughs> There's more I think pets. you'd be like, oh yeah, we could we could go off planet for a bit, and then I'll come back to seek out Zendaya, who I feel like is in this troop somewhere. But yeah, yeah, everyone's yeah. wearing masks. That's good. I, I like that. That's an interesting twist on it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It makes sense. And again, I'm just really picturing that kicking down the door to the lance right <laughs> yeah. now. I was picturing like, you just really want that to happen. <laughs> you picturing, picturing Aragorn? Aragorn. Oh, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yes, the entrance, yeah. the Aragorn entrance from Lord of the Rings. Oh. That's iconic. Just as dusty, yeah. just as dirty. Oh, yeah. Oscar Isaac and, could pull that yeah. off. Oh, yeah. easily. Yes. Oh, easily. <laughs> Part of the charm. Yeah. Can we get a remake of Lord of the Rings where Oscar Isaac plays every character? <laughs> <laughs> well, we like to end our episodes on a question. And so we mm. thought we would stay on brand and in theme for today's episode. I do have a question for the group here to round out today's episode. Elaine, you have been a trooper. I know we're going so long, but you're hanging in there with us. Appreciate you. Of course. It's been fun. I'm curious if you two could rewrite any part of Dune, big or small, Uh what's one thing and only one thing, big or small, that you would change about the Dune saga? And Leo, I'll let you go first on this one. Sure. Yeah, this is pretty low-hanging fruit. I think like most people, when you read Dune, a lot of people in 2023, you know, you read through Dune, you go, hey, this is pretty good. But there are these things that kind of rub you the wrong way because it's yeah. written in the 60s and 70s. And it's got some like, you know, the whole sequence of Paul going into his internal, you know, primordial world and seeing the lighting and the, you know, this really cool poetic stuff. And then he's like, because women are givers and men are takers. And it's like, yeah. Do we need that? Yeah. I feel like that a lot of it, there are some narrative elements that are just lightly steeped in some old fashioned ideas about, mm. about gender and sexuality, especially in the later books. Yeah. It's, it's a little tough at times. And I don't think it weakens the story and the narrative to lift your foot off that gas pedal a little bit, you know, to make it a little bit less leaning on like gender stuff. You know, it'd be nice to have some like lesbian, gay, bisexual people in the book, like LGBTQ people in the book would be nice. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think that would be, that would only make the story more inclusive and accessible for people and also would not weaken the story at all. Like, I don't think it's taking something important out to say there's this 
core difference between men and women and because i and only those two genders and yeah i am both and that's why i can blah i think detaching it from gender altogether would probably make it a more resonant poetic idea yeah and not be as wouldn't call to mind very recent cultural re-examinations of what gender is um yeah that yeah. i think distract distract from the story that's interesting sort of smoothing out the rough edges uh, of some outdated ideas that are found throughout the book yeah and I, again i think you know there we we still have some episodes to record about how fully that is like is and isn't a problem but we hear from listeners all the time about like i didn't like this weirdly horny bit or like i didn't like that that section was like strange and like outdated yeah and especially yep. in the later books like some stuff happens and it's like oh man fuck <laughs> it was so close to being just interesting or not interesting and not like upsetting right so right. anyway i think that's fair to wrap up this little request or this desire this this dream i think like we all know that count fenring is like a bisexual king who's just like out here and <laughs> just having the time of his life uh-huh i i would love to see more just more lgbtq yeah. people yeah just lean on that more explicitly yeah. Without without having to dramatically change the character to the story itself, you know? Yeah. You wouldn't have to. That's fair. Half these That's characters fair. are already fucking fabulous. You just <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Anyway, so that's that's me. Mm-hmm. Uh what about you, Elaine? What would you uh what would you change if you could change? Well, mine was pretty much a common sentiment, I think, in the Dune fandom was that I didn't want Duncan to die in the first novel. Uh-huh. Yep. He was like my favorite. When I first read it, like I was seeing it through the eyes of Paul and I saw Duncan as just this really cool friend and neat. Fig- All of the parts with him are so intriguing and so diverse. There's so many different sides to him we see, even in, in his yeah, short amount of yeah. time. And you wanted to see more. Right. So yes, I would change that, that he would not have died, even though it was a cool, awesome moment. I think we could have seen his battle prowess uh, featured in a really mm-hmm. awesome way where he would have lived. So it would have been epic to see him continue at Paul's side in the war for Arrakis, especially to see him really avenge the death of his beloved Duke. Yeah. I think that would have been a sight to behold. Yeah. And like I said, it's, it was a common sentiment at the time when people read Dune, and that's why Frank Herbert decided to bring him back so much and make him such <laughs> yeah. a central figure. Right, right. In the later books. But it's still sad because I still see him as it's not the same Duncan. Right. They're right. each different because they have new memories uh, and stuff. So mm-hmm. so I think instead of, and this is kind of like another what if scenario. So if that would have changed Dune Messiah, what if, if Duncan was still around? Maybe it's Duke Leto that is the one that's the Gola clone that they um, spacing guild trots oh, out. Shit. And then you get to see Oscar yeah. Isaac again. <laughs> Yeah, we do. Oh, my oh God. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so so the Tleilaxu are like, Paul, don't you want your dad back? Huh? Oh, my God. That's crazy. That's fun. That's such that's a good fun. idea. I, I also, I so fully resonate with what you're saying. He's such a dynamic character. You see so many different sides of him. And sure enough, he's, especially in the first book, he's like one of the first people to really take the Fremen seriously in their culture. And, their, and he's like really respective of them and like really like... It, admires them and he there's so many cool things about that and then to see him as a fadakin or to see him as a continuing mentor for paul or just to see him as the universe changes to like be there that could be really great 
and it could be really fun. And sure enough, they could do a very anime thing where it's him and the 18 Sardaukar in that hallway and yes. he gets like stabbed through two or three times and still kills them all. <laughs> and then and then he like collapses, fade to black, and then like toward the end of the book, he just comes out with wound. bandages and he's like just a flesh yes. wound. Just a flesh. They're like your lung collapsed. God saw fit to give me two. You know, it's like <laughs> or whatever the 300 quote is. Incredible. It would be great. It's so cool to have like a return, a triumphant return of that yeah. guy. That'd yeah, cool. yeah. Here, here. I love that. Keep dunking around. And I think that ends on you, Abu. What yeah. would you uh what would you change if you could change anything? Yeah, mine's in a similar vein to Elaine's. I would also like to keep a certain character around. Mm-hmm. And this is entirely for selfish reasons. I haven't thought this through logically at all. <laughs> but I would really, really want Chani to survive. And that's honestly why I picked our second scenario that we sort of dove into earlier. I would love for Chani to survive. I adore her character in the book as is, but I also don't think she was given enough to do on page. She did plenty in the background that is hinted at, but I don't think we get enough scenes with her. We don't get enough moments of her leading and in charge and stepping up to the plate and effectively being the de facto empress of the universe alongside Paul. Right. I would love more of that content. And if Chani survived, perhaps we'd get more of that. And I think in the larger scheme of things, her surviving perhaps doesn't change the larger story about the future of humanity and the golden path all that much. Because at the end of the day, like we talked about earlier in scenario two, Leto still has to rise to power in some way, and he still has to lead humanity down the golden path. But at least with the family structure being there, we avoid all of the horrible bloodshed and Shakespearean tragedy that is Children of Dune, you know, Alia dying, Paul being the preacher, the twins barely surviving an assassination attempt. All of that is unnecessary if the family unit is still there. Yeah, true. And each of these characters has the support that they need. I think it's a better life for the twins. It's a better life for Alia. It's a better life for Paul and Chani because they have each other and they have love and a family surrounding them. And, you know, at least until the great House Atreides schism takes place and we get the divide between Leto and Paul, uh, I think it makes for a fun story. And perhaps it leads us into something that's very Game of Thronesy. Yeah, yeah. So for those reasons, I, I would want to keep Chani around and explore the story with her still in it and imagine where things could go in that scenario. Plus, yeah. I love her. Yeah. So more Chani, more Chani on screen, more Chani in the books. That's what yeah, I, bigger that's paycheck what I for wanted. Zendaya in the Children of Dune adaptation. She's not just like a force ghost. Yeah. She's like gets to be in the scenes. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, she's a struggling up and coming actor. We should. Yeah. We need to help her secure no the bag. roles. Yeah. She's really, she's really struggling these days, I think. <laughs> you know, we here in Gavjabar advocate for the underdogs like Zendaya and Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. You support your local artists. <laughs> okay, so that wraps up our episode today. But a quick bit of outro housekeeping, dear listener, that we want to leave you with. And then, Elaine, we do want to give you a chance to plug all of your amazing content and let our listeners yeah, know where yeah. they can find you. So let's quickly wrap up. Before we let you go, dear listener, we want to remind you of a couple of ways to support the show and keep in touch with us. As always, the two best ways to support us is to become a patron on patreon.com slash And 
to get yourself some Dune-themed swag from our merch store at gomjabarshop.com. You can find all of those links in the show notes below. Indeed. And we love to hear from you. So send us uh, emails. <laughs> uh, gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com. Questions, concerns, comments, uh, or episode ideas like this one. Or if you like hearing Elaine, tell us to bring her back because we want to anyway. And then we'll have an excuse to be like, oh, Elaine, sorry. We just got so many requests. <laughs> we have to. Our we hands are tied. Oh, you no. have to come back. Oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely email us, gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com. That's right. And Elaine, we want to hand the mic to you. Tell the listeners where they can find you and what you do and all of the amazing work that you put out in the world. Oh, sure. Well, th- thanks again for having me on. This was fun. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you can find me on YouTube at Nerd Cookies. That's my channel. I cover a variety of sci-fi and fantasy news and lore. So yeah, and you can also I have a Patreon page. If you want to check that out, there's exclusive perks for uh, members there. And you can follow me on Twitter mm-hmm. at twitter.com uh, nerd underscore cookies. I'm not calling it X. I'm Elaine, sorry. What, what's twitter.com? <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I, Twitter? I Don't never you heard mean of it. X.com? I can't call it X, but X.com <laughs> is something else. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's so weird. It's so weird to say that. Yeah, uh, but yeah, you can find me there. <laughs> great great well thank you so much for joining us this was as always a blast and we love having you on the show oh, thanks again and we we love that you uh put up with us <laughs> and nerd out with us <laughs> and are as True. big a fan of dune as us it's always a pleasure Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic, so help spread the word of Muad'Dib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lord Party Podcast Network on lordparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. We're also on TikTok at Gomjabar Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, whoever controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the golden path.